Hey guys, welcome back to Logos-ish for our bonus Christmas episode. We just got done watching together a Muppet Christmas Carol uh, using some brand newfangled technology, and I won't talk too much more about it because as most of the brands we talk about, Disney Plus is not a sponsor of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Though we might be willing to sell out if Disney were willing to give us a, a good enough price for our media and creativity. We've got some people on here, so you guys just want to sound off and let people know that you are here. I'm Sarah. <laughs> I'm Brian. Garrett's here. And I'm Laurel, Garrett's wife. Yay, <laughs> Laurel's here. It Yay. only took three Is this months. Laurel's first appearance? Yep. It is. It is. Yeah. The infamous Laurel. Clearly you all don't respect my research. I've not been invited on the podcast. Garrett says he's been trying to schedule you for like three months. Yeah, he has. I've just been busy because, you know, the university is all online and it's twice the work. Her assistant won't return my calls. That's right. You're on my blocked list. Laurel, uh, Garrett has been badly explaining what you're researching for probably about three months now. Can you give us like a short, succinct explanation? And then connect it to the Muppet Christmas Carol? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So I am a PhD candidate in philosophy, and I study the intersection of two different fields of thought. The first is ecofeminist ethics, which looks at the ways that the oppressions of women and nature, uh, both of those as subordinated categories, how those are linked. And the second field that I work on is uh, phenomenology. Um, So most of my work is looking at the ways that how we understand ontology, how we understand being, what we are, how we are related to things, how we're related to the earth, how that is tied into our conceptions of the environment uh, and how our understanding of being relates to ecofeminism. So, you know, casual dinner conversation makes you a lot of friends. Definitely see, a hit at parties. See, Garrett, why don't you just say that every time? <laughs> I did. I ballparked it. <laughs> so I, I use... won't make you connect it to the Muppet Christmas Carol, but I will say every time I hear the word phenomenology, all I think in my head is phenomena. <laughs> <laughs> that video definitely circulated our undergraduate class on phenomenology. <laughs> and there is actually a uh, phenomenology spoof of the Menomina song. Well, thank God. Where they say phenomena. Do, 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 do. It's great. <laughs> they well, go through all the major phenomenologists. It's, uh, you know, informative as the Muppets should be. Mm-hmm. We will be finding that and posting that with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so did everybody have a good time? Yeah, for sure. It was a really awesome movie. Got me, got me right in the heartstrings. I know, definitely in the Christmas spirit. I will say now that I saw it, I was right that I have seen it before. But I think I was very little. Either that or I had a very similar fever dream. <laughs> I think that's every Muppets episode or movie. So it's, a, I, it's a play on a fever dream. I just have to own up to the fact that I have loved the Muppets since I was a kid. Uh, like, I remember 
when some of the, their movies like came out in theaters when we were like little kids and I would go and see them. So like I own this movie on uh, Amazon Prime and then uh, Disney Plus became a thing. I was like, oh, so I own it twice. Great. So a bunch of us went to go see one of the last Muppet movies that came out in theaters together. Which of you were with me for that? I was. Uh, what movie? Which was one was this? that one? Oh, was the th- Tina Fey one or the um, uh, uh, other guy one? The Amy Adams one. It was not the Amy Adams one. It was the other one. Okay. The Tina- was, oh, no. Yeah. It must have been Muppets Most Wanted. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We didn't uh, know each other. When- I had uh, the Muppets Take Manhattan on VHS. And mm-hmm. I watched it every day. And my dad got so sick of it that he hid the VCR. <laughs> Wow. Not the, the VHS VCR. tape. <laughs> no, unplugged the VCR, put it in the closet. The whole VCR. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, I remember owning this movie when I was younger, and it came in like the like clamshell. Oh yeah. Um, holder looked like a movie book. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I watched a lot of Muppets growing up. I didn't really watch missed anything out. with puppets. Yeah, I really did. I didn't watch Sesame Street. It's no Muppets of any kind. Our future children I know. will be inundated with Muppets and Sesame Street. <laughs> it's, it puts you right in those fields of like, can I find a child to show this movie to? You know? <laughs> so we watched it a couple of years. We watch it every year. But a couple of years ago, I mentioned this to you guys off the podcast, but like we showed it to our niece, Lila. And less than 20 minutes in, she was just terrified of the whole thing. It really actually made the the joke in the movie where they say, is this appropriate for children? And the uh, rat replies to Gonzo, oh yeah, it's culture. It's really culture. relatable. Wait a minute. First of all, the rat has a name, it's Rizzo. Right. <laughs> and Rizzo was asking the question and Gonzo said, it's culture. It's culture. <laughs> fact check complete. Yeah. All right. Fact check, Mr. Fact Checker. <laughs> That's Brian's job. I Sorry. won't believe it till yeah. Brian says it. Sorry, Brian. Well, I'm just going to say <laughs> that Garrett and Sarah are correct and John is wrong. But it, it, is a good, it is a good conversation to have. And we can't forget that in the original, that this is a ghost story. Like beyond just Muppets, that the Christmas Carol story is a ghost story at heart. A Christmas ghost story. Yeah. Damn, they, uh, well, this is, this is all the ghost stories that they sing about. You're like, what ghost stories do we tell over Christmas? And, um, not the Muppet Christmas Carol, but the Christmas Carol in general, I would say. But context is, is, is very important. I, uh, I kind of like their spin on, what is it, 1900s England? I think it's 1800s. 1900s. They actually make a joke in it about how it's been 1,800 Christmases is the Christmas Clever. presents that have oh, come I before. That. Hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. He said your grocery bill must be huge. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's such a good movie. It's a really good adaptation of the book, which is the only Charles Dickens, I want to put quotes around book, that I've ever actually finished. <laughs> <laughs> Because it is short. There was the the Oliver Twist reference in there, right? Yeah. Uh, with the uh, uh, the Can penny I have for a song. Cheese, oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. 
I am not smart. <laughs> you are plenty smart. I am cultured because I have seen this movie. You're going to have a doctorate <laughs> in like a year. <laughs> um, yeah, this is an absolute delight. And even though I've seen it, like, we watch it every year, um, I still cried when, spoiler alert, in the future, Tiny Tim dies. Tiny Tim dies? <laughs> Tiny it's Tim, who book. does not die, <laughs> as Gonzo slash Charles Dickens says in the end. Oh, man, that is so good. I think I need to write fan fiction now where we use community rules and there's two alternate timelines, and one is the darkest timeline, and one is the prime timeline. I think we I mean, saw the darkest timeline. In yeah, the I mean that's movie, basically the premise of this, right? <laughs> yes, but yeah. what if what if zombie Lich Scrooge tries to cross back over to the prime timeline to retake yeah, over his life because he has not learned his lesson? Then you're gonna call Troy and Abed. Well, you build a very complicated pillow fort so it gets lost in there and you're fine. I will say, regardless of the timeline, I mean, they're all going to die, right? Like, it was very weird to me that Scrooge was like, is there anything I can do to erase the writing on that stone? And it's like, well, I mean, if it's already paid for, you might as well just keep that for later, you know? Yeah. Um, I had the same thought, and I was like, did, did I miss, it? is it written on there, like, uh, here lies a real jerk? <laughs> right. Or like an earlier year than he wanted. It, just, it was just death, which you can't really erase. Oh, I think it's more clear, like in other adaptations, that it's, like, immediate. It's not, <laughs> it's not like a Christmas far off in the future. It's, it's soon. There. Uh, well, you know, too, like, like the movie is aware that death is a thing that comes to people. You know, Kermit has that really great life is made of meetings and partings, the beautiful speech in the, in the house yeah. that he's giving to the kids and, and Miss Piggy. And so I think, you know, part of it is also this sense that, that Scrooge leading up to that moment where he brushes the snow off the tombstone, he's reconciling with uh, the fact that he wants to change things, right? He meets the ghost of Christmas future and says, okay, I'm ready to change things. Don't need to do this anymore. Let's go back. And then the final sort of ultimate confrontation is with his own mortality and with the possibility that he can't go back and yeah. fix his mistakes, right? And he is slowly opening up to change throughout the entire, like, movie uh, with his encounters with the spirits, even with, uh, you know, the Marleys, like, even to that, and then the ghost of Christmas past and the ghost of Christmas present, like, there's a subtle, like, opening up to realize, hey, I've been a real jerk and I need to change. Now, is that true of other adaptations? Because it seemed that he changed his mind real quick. Like, from the second that ghost baby was on screen, he was like, all right, I'm getting my act together. And I don't remember that being the case in the book. So it's been a long time since I've read the book, so I don't know. So I actually own the book on Audible. So I, I just listen to it, like, on Christmas each year. So, you know, tradition. And I think it's more so like with the ghost of Christmas present Mm -hmm. than it is in this one than it is the past 
because he's more kind of just he recognizes that what happens and like throwing away relationships in order to be successful like isn't the way to go but he hasn't really made the full connection that his actions affect other people uh until he in, gets involved with the present so that's when the real change really happens well you know and that's what i love about the art direction in this movie is is the progression of his change there's a lot of very visual components to it right so the marley brothers when they appear they're in chains and the song sort of makes it clear that the chains are representative of their guilt and their greed and their so on and so forth and there's a fun little metaphor there and Which then the, the ghost book. of like that that's in the book it's just not a song and it's not nearly as catchy well that's why it's so fun <laughs> but like the, it's so vi- like the because I mean, there's a lot of chains. They could have really underplayed that, but literally the whole screen is chains at one point. So in the book, like Scrooge goes out to the window to with the ghost of Christmas past and sees like the chains and spirits of all like everybody who who hasn't done well like in life and just sees them floating like across the scene. So it's not just him; like it's the fate of all people who are miserly and. Uh, not doing well by their fellow man. Hmm. It would have been a lot of Muppets to put in this. I need to read this book. It was kind of cool, though, to see the juxtaposition of, like, him in chains and the Marley brothers talking about, like, the weights that we carry. And the next time that we see him in his house when he's not sleeping, he's obviously, after this transformation, going on about how he's light as a feather, right? Like, he's Mm. clearly cast off a lot of that stuff. Yeah, they really do... uh especially with how they shot the movie solidify like the like the growing understanding of like that that wrathful terror (laughs) and um you know then all of a sudden once you start changing that innermost part of you you know things start to get a little better and i don't know i thought that was uh all of a sudden you know i was transported back to those wonderful methodist theology classes i'm like hmm (laughs) Hmm. It's like they were driving at something here, but uh, it was it was just really it was really interesting because like that's all I could think about at, at that you're, moment. You're talking about personal transformation here, like yeah, <laughs> right. It was like you know this moment, and the world just seemed justified for Scrooge. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this, but when Dickens was writing the book, he started out kind of lukewarm on Christmas, like he was like not a Christmas person. He was a little Scroogey. And then by the time he finished writing A Christmas Carol, his his friends were writing to each other. And they were writing these letters, you know, kind of talking about him a little bit, you know, kind of gossiping about him a little bit. But they're like sitting there writing these letters to each other going, this guy's like changed. Like something weird has happened here. He's running around. He's celebrating a little too enthusiastically. Like, he's really into this Christmas thing in a way he's never been before. So, like, just the act of telling the story and expressing it even had, like, a a real-life impact on Charles Dickens. And I think that speaks to the power of story. Like, even stories that aren't, like, firmly based, like, in, like, our scriptures or things like that. But they tell, like, a story of redemption and reconciliation and of change. Uh, repentance and those are powerful when we see them and they can affect us and do yeah in the beginning of the film 
one of my favorite scenes when uh, the rats and Bob Cratchit slash Kermit are sort of uh, asking Mr. Scrooge for some understanding or grace, and he describes December as foreclosure season. <laughs> it's a little hard this year with <laughs> some people spending their mortgage money on frivolities and merriment. Frivolities. You know, good thing I live in a parsonage. <laughs> oh man no yeah it it, it really uh connected <laughs> with what's going on especially today i don't know i can uh those, those sets of lines definitely got to me especially with the housing crisis and you know all the governors acting acting the way they were florida's uh governor hasn't been too graceful and sort of has like stymied his way to like yeah i guess we have to Make sure we don't kick like two thirds of Florida out, you know, of their homes. But whatever. It's like, oh man. <laughs> Gift wrapped eviction notices, as Scrooge said. Yeah. Oh man. I saw a tweet today that was like, name something that's classy if you're rich, but trashy if you're poor. And somebody said Florida. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, neither real, here nor there. Sarah. Too real. That's uh -oh. coming out of the podcast, right? I will say, though, that, I mean, both that discussion about the evictions with uh, Bob Cratchit and the bookkeepers and the later scenes where he goes and visits Bob Cratchit's house, clearly, no matter how long Bob has worked for him, Scrooge had no idea about his kids or Tiny Tim. Like, he didn't know anything about his employee's life. Uh, and I think it's an interesting sort of point about getting to know other people, like the sort of yes. inward transformation that happens when you look outward at other people's lives. That's really yeah. insightful. I really wish you would come on the podcast. Way <laughs> Tell us about nature and feminism and stuff. Yeah. Any and day. Phenomena. You can me out whenever. So yeah, there's, we all kind of had a, a moment when um, Tiny Tim is where Miss Piggy slash Bob Cratchit's wife is like, how was church? And Tiny Tim is explaining why he wanted to go to church or maybe Kermit does. Yeah, Kermit looks at, at Piggy and says, you know, Tiny, Tiny Tim wanted to be in church to remind everyone that, that Jesus healed people is essentially the gist of the quote, right? Like he's, he's there to be an inspiration, which is a very sweet, I think, sort of sentiment. It's a very big thought for a kid to have. And the whole scene is, it just melts your heart. Like the Tiny Tim character is simple, but well-written. Mm -hmm. He says all of these things that just sort of give you this sense of a big-hearted, grace-filled, loving human being that then, of course, like you're so sad in the next scene when he's died. And then you're so happy at the end when Gonzo is like, who did not die. <laughs> I, I mean, I celebrate every time. Like, <laughs> though I haven't read this book, like, a bunch, and as though I've never seen this movie three or four times every December, it's so exciting. It's a real emotional roller coaster. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you get off at the end, you're like, I'm glad he's still here. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think, you know, it just reminds me that imagine if we adopted that sort of same outlook for the rest of the world. 
that grace-filled, simple living, living to be an inspiration to others just for the sake of pointing to something bigger than us, regardless of what persuasion you are, I think would make the days a little easier, change things, at least from my point of view, to, to something better. I tend to find people who have very little at all give the most, not monetarily or material-wise, but like the most of themselves. And those are some of the most infectious, joyous people that I've met. And, you know, it, it makes me stop and think, and it's like, yeah, I can do better too. So, man, tiny tip. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, man, this took a turn for the feels. <laughs> <laughs> On a slightly academic note, I'm really interested to know whether or not First of all, I need to know the sort of timeline of when A Christmas Carol was written, but I am interested whether or not there was a connection between the Dickens quote about uh, surplus populations and uh, the works of Thomas Malthus. I can assure you that is exactly the case. You know, this is a time period where Dickens is writing and he's, he's um, you know, thinking quite a bit about early industrialization and then you know you've got Malthus writing at the I believe the turn of the century which you know feeds then into some other things it feeds a little bit into Darwin because Darwin is thinking about population dynamics and yeah so the first publication of A Christmas Carol was in December of 1843 and uh one was Jonathan's. Actually, it was the week. It was the week before Christmas. Hmm. Yeah, feels like a marketing good, ploy. Good yeah. timing, release there. Yeah. <laughs> what was uh, Jonathan Jonathan Swift writing? I think he was writing around the same time. Um, he wrote a modest proposal. Ah, uh, yes. I made a modest proposal joke the other day, <laughs> and it did not land in this house. Yeah, that's fair. That's got to be like a very specific audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who remembers history or literature. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry I missed it. It's okay. Yeah, but that was sort of the, uh, around the turn of the century, it was like a really big topic was population. Yeah. Um, and like all of the, all of the problems that come with that. So disease, unemployment, crime, yeah. a whole bunch of other stuff as well, but. A lot of writers were using that, and I think a lot of people could relate to to the points that people were making. Well, I think most notably, I mean, Malthus was uh, one of the main educational formative figures for Lord Trevelyan, who ended up being put in charge of uh, famine relief for Ireland. And so he took up a very Malthusian sort of approach where he thought that if you give to the poor, then they will continue to populate and make more poor. So actually you're making more suffering if you allow them to keep living, uh, which obviously did not work very well for the Irish. Terrible, terrible policies, right? So it's interesting that like around this time, Dickens was sort of working that in, that line about surplus populations and then refuting it in a literary way. Mm-hmm. Very interesting, because the Great Famine was like 1845, right? You said this was published 1843, Brian? Yeah, so uh, just some fact-checking. Thomas Malthus 
died in 1834. So um, that's totally a concept that is being pulled from. Like it has to be. There's just no way that that could not be the case, but you're right in that there's clear refuting of that, like, egregious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've done a lot of research. There's a great book called The Famine Plot that goes into kind of all of the ideological things that were going on behind the scenes that essentially kept the Irish famine going uh, rather than giving humanitarian aid. And call it the COVID plot. (laughs) <laughs> we uh that is yet to be seen there's a lot of hindsight and things that are going to come out of the woodworks yeah maybe in about 10 years when we uh can see the web a little <laughs> bit more clearly we're still in the the cloud of it. it it's interesting as john mentioned earlier there's just the advent of industrialization and the uh, just viewing people as commodities and assigning some sort of pecuniary value to them to their okay. work to their worth instead of valuing people as laurel mentioned earlier uh, by the relationships and by knowing them yeah uh, for sure also there was a character at the very beginning who was like yeah my kids lungs aren't all right they're like there's clear references to industrialization and the the pollution (laughs) problem that was happening there at the time yeah and this was really an explosive period for thinking about things in terms of systems and sort of broad sphere uh, dynamics instead of thinking about people as individuals or individual actors you know this is when the wealth of nations is written this is when on the origin of species is written there there's all of these ideas floating around about the way in which these systems that are composed of people or animals or nature work themselves out. It's sort of this advent of everybody's got a little bit of something from the zeitgeist and they're going off in their own directions with it in various ways and shapes and forms. And it just so happens that this is when the scientific breakthroughs happen that begin to explain things like tectonic shift and fundamental ideas about human behavior and economics. And And yet... The point of the movie and the book is, hey, don't treat people like garbage. Yeah, or just cogs, you know, um, sort of the counter to the reductionalistic um, view of, you know, how society works. Society is not supposed to be that well-oiled machine, but it's that place where people live. You got to deal with people. But yeah, more more eloquently, don't be a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's so many nods to in the Muppet version these these really creative little poetic insertions that let you give you an insight into Scrooge kind of having that desire for everything to be that well-oiled machine to make him money. Whether it's refusing his mice countenance. Rats. His rat, rat accountants. accountants coal, an extra scoop of coal, right? Which he eventually gives them at the end of the movie. Or when he's walking up the stairs and the line is Scrooge liked darkness because darkness is cheap. Yeah. That's a great line. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great line. And something that was really interesting that I don't think I'd noticed before, or at least kind of thought about this year was um, when in the future, the uh, ladies are, they've pilfered his house and they've, you know, brought out his goods, et cetera. They talk about how cheap the bed curtains were. And, uh, 
I don't know. It just, uh, it was interesting to me, like just how he's not like a super rich man who spends a lot of money, but he's a miserly, ungreedy. It's not that the problem isn't that he's rich. It's that he's cheap. (laughs) Yeah, that is interesting. There's a lot of uh, wealth hoarding going on. Got to give it away now. Give it away. Give it away. Give it away now. I mean, Ryan, you look like you have a headache. What's wrong? But by the end, but <laughs> so I'm just pondering, like just. But by the end, like he's paying Bob Cratchit's mortgage and giving him a raise, and and I'm like, so that means you had that capacity this whole time. Yeah, and you wouldn't sure. even enjoy it yourself. So what was the point of being successful? Yeah, and all the the gifts that he gives to everybody at the end are all gifts of nourishment. They're all food or warmth. Mostly food, though. Yes. <laughs> Not of stuff. Ooh, ooh, so I need to ask a really controversial question. Oh. Oh, okay. So we know the Cratchit family is making a goose. But Scrooge goes and he buys a giant turkey. So goose or turkey, which is really the better bird? <laughs> oh. Oh, um. Uh, we're... We're a ham family for Christmas. You get out. (laughs) I don't know if I've ever had goose. We've we know people who've had goose. Goose one year for Christmas. Goose is like a. I thought we did. No. We had no. Like duck is delicious, but goose is weird. Goose is. I had duck with you all for the first time, but I don't think I've ever had goose. Yeah. Duck is a delicious animal. We eat so much. I will much say duck. that turkey is. We haven't had duck in forever. We had duck within the last three weeks. Oh, you're right. We did. <laughs> Not at home. We had some takeout food. Takeout ducks? No, we did duck wings at your mom's too. Oh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> well, we, we did have... get duck wings. <laughs> we have friends that did goose one year, and they said it was really greasy and bony. So. Annie liked it, though. Yep, our friend's dog loved the goose carcass. She even pulled it out of the trash to eat it. Oh, sounds like our dog. So turkey... uh, Turkey's not great, but I do love a smoked (laughs) turkey leg, like carnival-style, Apple Festival smoked turkey leg. But holiday turkey is like a chronic disappointment. (laughs) Never, never what you think it's going to be. Thus we are a ham family. We uh ham is an Easter food for us. Uh, my yeah, family does lasagna because we're Italian and we uh we only do turkey at Thanksgiving because that's what Americans do. Mm-hmm. I will say that this year we are doing a standing rib roast. Oh, so good. So we bought a big old prime rib roast today. Yeah. Oh, that's what we should do on Christmas. Yeah, yeah, we for Easter, we had planned to have people over and we had this like whole leg of lamb. And so I was ready to make this just big, massive chunk of lamb. And then, you know, of course, COVID hit and nobody was going to get together or do anything you know, <laughs> just to avoid spreading things around. You know, at, that was at the point where really nobody even had a solid sense of like the best precautions to take beyond just stand as far apart as you can outside. And so, like, we're sitting here and we're just like, all of this lamb leg now has to be eaten by us. (laughs) (laughs) A lot. 
It was a lot of layout. That is a lot. So it was good. Anybody else remember how delusional we might have been when we thought, hey, COVID might last a couple weeks? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my, oh my Lord. And here we are, yeah, nine months it. later. It's quite, I, I mean, I was remarking about this the other day. It is weird that 2020 is almost over because 2020 has contained so many years. Yeah. Like so <laughs> many years. It is hard to think of things that happened in January and February as happening in the same year Yeah, as everything else. At the top of the year, Australia was on fire. That seems yeah. so long ago. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah that, that seems like forever ago. And remember when everyone was like, oh, this is going to be the, the thing that defines the year. Man, were we wrong? But hey, some people are saying now that this economic disruption is what leads us into the next roaring 20s. So get ready to Gatsby it up. That's supposed to mean. <laughs> All right. Well, Gatsby for a decade and then take a long depression nap for... No, what? thanks. We'll skip that part. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's not. Uh, can we, can we rather have like the 40s and 50s boom economically? Yeah. I mean... There's uber wealthy got taxed at like 90%, but the average person like had a really good standard of living and there would be no Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, and the median income was not much lower than it is today, yet everything costs significantly less. Yeah. Oh, nope, nope. I'm falling into a trap. I'm falling into a trap. A trap. Yeah. It's a trap. The mid-century was not better. It was awful. Oh, oh, oh it had many social ills. <laughs> yeah. It was Just not like good. We're ticket. falling into the let's do this again trap. Let's do oh, no, nothing wait. like we've ever done it before. Wait, sorry, you don't want to make America great again? <laughs> mm. Listen, I'm still rooting for a moon base, okay? It's coming. Garrett, you've been well, rooting all for the entire time we've known you. Exactly. It's been a long time. It's been like 10 years. Long time. Kind Nine of, of those years happened this year. <laughs> <laughs> there has been some interesting research done, though. I was reading an article um, about people who are moving. There's like a massive number of people in the U.S. who are planning on moving in the coming year because so many companies have decided that uh, remote work is cheaper for them to maintain. Right? They don't have to maintain facilities. And so there is like a mass exodus happening from the sort of major cities, you're like, you know, Atlanta type cities, mm -hmm. because people know that they can move out to somewhere that's cheaper uh, and still keep their job. Not so there is a, there's a really interesting article about that and how not only like demographics are going to shift because right, like cities are ultra blue and people are going to be spreading out, but also just like our work week is going to be changing into the sort of like the sort of predicted structure is the three two two structure where people are remote for three days and work uh, in person for two and then have two days off. So there's a lot of things that are going to change because of what happened this year, just in our sort of like professional structure and the way we are spread out around the country. I well, think I would prefer a different kind of three two two structure or maybe a one two 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 structure <laughs> wherein i work one day a week take two off then work two days a week and then take two off there you go if we could just always have three days in a cabin every week i think that would work really well for yeah me. i think that'd be fine really my best writing will be done in a cabin so 
I may have bought a so book on how to build a cabin yourself this week. Well, let's no. do it. No, you didn't. I did from thriftbooks.com, a website I just discovered and is not sponsoring our podcast. <laughs> Sarah was sitting with her phone and she just looked up from her phone and said, oops. <laughs> <laughs> That's how all of my book orders happen, too. <laughs> I couldn't control my fingers. I <laughs> just clicked yeah. buy and typed in my credit oh card my information. <laughs> she said, oops. Straight and then I looked ass. up and said, what? <laughs> and then she said, I just bought a book. And I said, what book? And she's like, <clears throat> I can't tell you. It may be your Christmas gift. Okay, I'll tell yeah. you. Part of your Christmas gift. Okay, I'll tell you, it's a book about building cabins. <laughs> I will say, I did definitely, totally accidentally and not on purpose, wander upon a website where you can look up uh, small farms that are for sale in North Carolina with little cute farmhouses. Are we pretty nice? commune? Is this happening? It I think happens so, to- Just so everyone who's listening to the podcast remembers, as we're just talking we there has been a plan for years in concept for us to all live in the same place again because that's that will be florida yeah but, is the audience all, familiar with the fact that we've all known each other for what eight years now i don't know i don't know I, did we do an introductory this so, is my fifth year of my phd and you I, guys were in i believe in our three. introductory yeah. episode we made reference to the fact that John Garrett and I were roommates. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's been mentioned here and there. So, listeners, we've known each other for many a year. Since 2012. Yeah. Yes. I will say, just take our word for it and don't listen to the introductory episode. <laughs> it's pretty bad. <laughs> Not great. We should do a reintroduction. So much better at this. Yeah, we probably should re re-record that. So um, we can't go re-record the introductory episode, Garrett. Yes, That's we can. We could just. It's a vicious cycle. Listen, don't go back and read your stuff. Don't go back and read publications you may have published a long time ago. None of it. None of it counts now. We have the technology. Right. <laughs> it's like it's like the whiteout of digital media. You just record new episodes, slap it on there. Don't let anyone know about it. We'll edit this part out. Um, and folks would not be the wiser. Sure. <laughs> anyway, final final thoughts on A Muppet Christmas Carol? I give it two thumbs way up. Uh, five stars, no notes. It has certainly filled me with the Christmas spirit. I give it two lit Christmas trees. And I'll give it one God bless us, everyone. Oh, this man. is a good moment to pause and remind everyone that you can, in fact, review this podcast. <laughs> we like five-star reviews. We like positive reviews. And so if you want to leave us a wonderful positive review, uh, head on over to your local podcast store, whatever it may be, and drop a review for us. It's really actually very helpful. Yeah. Also, email us. Let us know what your favorite Muppet movie is. Who your favorite Muppet is. Uh, Let us have some Muppet content from you. (laughs) Do you know how to cook goose well? Um, Yeah. Goose cooking tips. For sure. (laughs) Weigh in on this goose v. turkey thing. 
It's important. Yeah, absolutely. And you can also find us on Facebook. Twitter. I really worry about what an open invitation for Muppet content is going to bring. <laughs> Please send we us your variant Muppet we art. We cannot no. take a lawsuit from Disney. Fact check. We cannot. The mouse <laughs> will win. Can we do an episode on The Mandalorian? Yes. Let's talk about it later. We can totally talk about it later. What if we change, instead of what's giving you life now, um, what if we had like a special ending to this Christmas bonus episode? Oh, so I was going to do New Year's resolutions. Oh, no. Oh. Let's do best and worst Christmas songs or hymns. Ooh. Okay. Okay. While we that. take a moment to think about our best and worst, most favorite, least favorite Christmas songs, I do want to add one last little thing okay. that I want to comment on. Uh, we are going to be off for the next couple of weeks. So if some new episodes don't drop, just re-listen to this joyful bonus episode and all of the <laughs> wonder and glory it came with, or go check out some of our previous episodes. So actually, I want to add to our list Everyone, also think about your favorite podcast episode that you want to recommend people go back and re-listen to. Okay, you couldn't have mentioned that off, off camera? No. Can we start with that? <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, Becky Copeland. Oh, yeah, that was a very good one. That was really good. Heck yeah, environmental theology, creation care, it's good stuff. That was my favorite theology book I've read this year. Laurel, mm -hmm. do you listen to our podcast? What? No, you guys are nerds. Oh, that makes me so happy. Yeah. Um. So I'm gonna re reference our podcast episode with Leland Ferguson. That was a great episode. It was. Uh, I'm gonna say the Laura Truman episode. Just shooting the breeze with Laura. I I listened to that one and I loved that episode, oh, even yeah, though I wasn't on it. Yeah. I'll have to say the Good Place episode with uh, our good friend Brian Elrod. Uh, Excellent That choice. was just a lot of fun. So theology or ethics in pop culture is really cool. The Good Place changed the philosophical classroom. My students know references of all sorts of philosophers now. It's great stuff to see philosophy in the mainstream. And just to harken back to that episode, I did in fact cry at the end of The Good Place. Okay, oh. Brian finally finished it. Softy. <laughs> All right. After how many episodes? What, the first three? Brian, you have eyes and ears connected to a heart of cry. Of course you cried. <laughs> yes. We all cried. And, yeah, and, you know, that mustache, you know, the, the amount of care That's that you put into Brian's that. Mustache. All right. I guess we don't have to talk about our least favorite and favorite Christmas no, thing. so I do want to say, like, so my favorite episode for the podcast, by the way, was our episode with Maruti, and it that thinking about acorn flower has not left my brain <laughs> since yeah, we talked to him about it. But with that, somewhat in the same spirit, my new favorite Christmas song is And Buddha Too. Oh, oh, okay. The Jack Johnson and Friends holiday mixes. Interesting. Spectacular. I loved it so much. And my least favorite Christmas song is any Christmas song that is played before December 1st. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. I want to start with my least favorite. Okay. My least favorite is every rendition of Away in a Manger. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Mostly because I know that it's supposed to be a simple song that we 
are meant to help teach children how to sing, but we just teach them how to scream it and it's terrible. <laughs> but that being said, um, I really love to sing Angels We Have Heard on High because of all the glorias that no one sings well, but everyone Great. owns it. And um, that's when it's really Christmas for me, is that first time we go through all the glorias. So I'll do two favorites. My sort of like go-to to get festive uh, around the holidays are like Irish folk song Christmas albums. Uh, so I'm a big fan of Christmas and Killarney. I've played it probably yeah. five times today. But in terms of like hymns, I'm a big fan of Silent Night during a candle service. Mm-hmm, there is mm-hmm. something extra and eerie that happens when people sing that really softly by candlelight. Uh, and I'm into it. What's your least favorite one? <sighs> like when pop stars sing really classic Christmas songs, but with like very digitized music. Mm, Not okay. a fan. Okay. All right. Um, uh, I discovered a really cool band, also not a sponsor of this uh, podcast, but it's called the Skatoon Network. So it's a riff off of Cartoon Network, um, but they released a, a Christmas album. So it's all ska Christmas albums, or Christmas songs. Really terrible. <laughs> it, I want it. it. <laughs> so good. So bad. Um, so I've been just listening to that. So... Uh, but at the same time, I think one of my favorite Christmas songs is Silent Night. Um, oh, we match. We do. Um, I know, it was terrible. Earlier this season, like two weeks ago, uh, we we sang Silent Night both in German and in English, and it was super cool. It was super cool. Yeah. Very cool. For the end of the sermon, because I sort of preached on that a little bit. Um, so, uh, hearing it in German was awesome. Um, I was impressed with the pronunciation happening in that congregation. And they're committed. It was excellent. And I think I've had enough of Jingle Bell Rock to last me a good, you know, decade. Get it. Oh, the yeah. next, the next time we review a Christmas movie, it needs to include, uh, Mean Girls <laughs> for that reason. <laughs> No, nope. um, the next Christmas movie we're watching is Die Hard. Okay, I gotta say my song before we talk about before we argue about Die Hard. Let me start some more arguments. There's no arguing about Die Hard. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Um, okay, so um, my go-to get get psyched for Christmas has been uh, for the past couple of years, and by couple I mean fifteen. Uh, the Sarah McLachlan Bare Naked Ladies God Rest You Merry Gentlemen We Three Kings mashup. Dang. So good from Bare Naked from the Holidays. Uh, and You guys were giving me shit about ska. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, Christmas Shoes is the worst song that's ever, ever come oh, out. Oh my gosh. Time. I think I've repressed that song. That's not <laughs> controversial. My controversial oh, one is that um, Little Drummer Boy, not for me. Not for me. That's very funny. Ugh, I don't care for it. I mean, I remember having to play that on instruments as a child. Deep, <laughs> deep loathing. <laughs> All right, please proceed with your diehard uh, arguments. Now that we've alienated not, our entire audience. But by, by crapping on all their favorite songs. <laughs> I have to say, though, 
Bare Naked for the Holidays is an excellent album name. It really is. <laughs> that is like the COVID holiday album. <laughs> um, Enya's O Come O Come Emmanuel, also Ooh. a constant jam around this Anya, time of year. She's, or Enya? Is it Enya? Enya? It's Enya. Perfect. So we agree we don't have to argue about Die Hard. Right, because it is a Christmas movie. I can oh, see whatever you guys want. I mean... Yeah. I've never seen it. You've, all right. We're, we're, <laughs> so uh, it's on Disney Plus. Uh, also not sponsored by this con- Is podcast. Is it on Disney Plus? I don't think so, but <laughs> it should be. <laughs> That'd be very weird. I saw it on something the other day. Like I was scrolling through <laughs> one of our million streaming services and it was on there. Well, thank you guys for joining this wonderful conversation. It was really fun. I'm really happy we got to slip in at least one more episode before we go on our winter break. Everyone who happens to be listening to this, thank you for listening. It's been a really cool year. We've had a lot of fun and just it's brought me a lot of joy to work on this podcast and this project with you guys, especially. So I just want to say Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. God bless us. Everyone. Everyone. You guys are my favorite group of nerds. <laughs>